Hello to you. This is Pastor Philip Bramblett of Furnace Creek Baptist Church, and this is the podcast Grit, What You Need to Revitalize Your Church. We've been going through the, the GRIT acronym, God, Repentance, Instruction, and Time. We've talked about the God aspect a bit, because there's so much more that could be said, but uh, we're moving on with repentance, the need for repentance in churches that are declining or dying or unhealthy. And there's always some sin issues in, in every church, even in a healthy church, there, there are sin issues because we're sinners. But in a dying church or an unhealthy church, there's often some uh, church-killing sins, uh, like typical sins that we know will cause uh, a lack of health and will cause death to a church if left unrepented of. Many could be mentioned, but I'll focus on a few uh, in, in uh, this podcast. Many of, the, of these sins are sins of omission, rather than sins of commission. They're things that are left undone. Unhealthy churches are are sometimes um, not obeying the Lord in a number of areas, such as love, prayer, evangelism, reconciliation, discipline, a number of things like that. Uh, In this episode, I want to talk about the problem of lack of love in the church. Lack of love is a sin that will kill local churches. Uh, That should be uh, uncontroversial. But the the issue is probably no one in your church will admit to not being loving. (laughs) You know, they may point out that other people have an issue with that. Uh, But they themselves, of course, are very loving. Even the nastiest, most rebellious member will affirm that they're a loving person. But if that were true, if everyone's so loving, then would there be such division? Would there be complaining and grumbling? Would there be gossip and slander going on? Would there be a lack of true spiritual fellowship uh, if everyone is loving? Would there be apathy toward evangelism and outreach if people were full of love for others? So many of the problems in the church and, and many other problems in the church can be traced to a root issue of biblical love. In Revelation 2, Jesus commended the church in Ephesus for their doctrinal fidelity and their discernment. You know, they were really good about holding to the truth and rejecting false teachers. They identified false apostles and and rejected them. They held to the true gospel. And yet Jesus warned them that a lack of love might lead to the demise of their church. And if you think about it, this must have been very painful for the Apostle John to hear and to write and record. Uh, If church history is correct, John had been the pastor at the church in Ephesus for many years because he was in exile when he got this vision. But like I said, if church history is correct, he pastored the church in Ephesus for a long time. And if you read John's writings, he was obsessed with two things. Truth and love, those are the two things that he preaches about and teaches about and talks about um, obsessively, is truth and love in equal measure. You need both of them. Uh, But apparently after his departure, the church in Ephesus, they did really well with the truth part, but they kind of let the love part slip. Love is so important. Jesus said that love for our fellow believers 
is the essential evidence of genuine discipleship. In John 13, it's where he talks about, you know, the new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And he says, this is how everyone will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. There's so many things he could have said would identify his disciples. But the one thing he did say was the primary identifier of his disciples is their mutual love for each other, love in the church. Jesus taught that the greatest commandments were to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. You really can't overemphasize how important love is for believers. And no amount of activities in a church can compensate for a lack of love. No amount of programs or strategies can compensate for a lack of love. Great preaching and a great music ministry can't cover over a lack of love in the church. So the question is, how can we encourage the growth of love in our churches? How can we encourage love? How can we get love to grow? Well, it won't happen by simply urging your members to be more loving, right? Just be more loving, be more loving, or scolding them for lack of love, <laughs> right? Just telling them love or, or, or telling them off for not loving. Because, you know, they all claim to be loving. They, they just think you're talking about someone else. Love will grow in the church as you are persistently God-centered and gospel-focused in your ministry. And I know that I harp on this, uh, uh, you know, persistently, but I really believe that it's, it's where it, it's the most important thing is that we're focused on God and the gospel. And that is actually what will build love in true believers is getting their eyes off of themselves and focusing on God and what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a greater understanding of the love of God in Christ. It's a greater appreciation for the love of God in Christ that will motivate deeper love in the hearts of true believers. There's a really good passage about love in 1 John chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 7 to 12. Uh, he says, Beloved, <clears throat> Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. John, 1 John 4, 7-12 through 12. Notice several points about love from this passage. First, when John commands believers to love one another, he immediately runs to the love of God in Christ and the gospel, as the motivation and example for their love, right? He immediately goes to the love of God that is displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The command to love one another springs from that. If your church members are to grow in love for each other, you need to focus relentlessly on Christ and the gospel. The gospel is not just for unbelievers to get a ticket to heaven. It's the motivation for Christian living. It's the model for Christian living. A second observation is that 
John frames love or lack of love in direct proportion to knowledge or lack of knowledge of God. Right? Whoever, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. It's about the knowledge of God. And so that's why you must consistently teach the full-orbed character and attributes and actions of our big, majestic, glorious God. Growth of love in your church will be in direct relation to growth in their knowledge of God, both informational knowledge about him and relational knowledge of him. A third observation is that John emphasizes that God is the initiator of the love relationship, not us. Right? He, he loved us first. He initiated this love relationship. He sent his son into the world. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son for us. Uh, and your members need to be convinced of the grace and sovereignty of God in their salvation, that they're saved not because of anything they did, but because God took the initiative to love them while they were still rebels. You know, if a person doesn't understand the gospel in that way, they really can't understand what real love is. <laughs> if they haven't yet understood that God sought them out and, and he set his love on them and he initiated uh, the whole thing, it wasn't about you know, that they believed and then God just reacted to them. It's that their belief was in response to what God was already doing. He's the one who initiated uh, the love relationship. Uh, a fourth observation is that John says that the implication of God loving us is not just that we love him back, but that we love fellow believers. It's a really interesting application that he makes. He says, if God loved us in this way, the, the word so there means thus or in this way, if God loved us in this way, by, that is by sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins, and you would think the application would be, if God loved us in this way, then we should love him. We should love him back. But that's not what he says. He said, if God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. And so, <clears throat> according uh, to John, the love of God is, is perfected in us. It's brought to its proper end or completion, not when we love God back, but when we love one another. Right? He says, God's love is perfected in us. It's brought to completion when we love one another. And so the love of God hasn't really had its full and complete effect in your life until it produces love for the church. That's its intended result, according to John in this passage. And finally, in the middle of this uh, discussion of love, John throws in this seemingly unrelated statement, no one has ever seen God. <laughs> like, he's talking all about love, you know, love, 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 and then no one's ever seen God, and then more about the love of God. Like, what does that have to do with it, that no one has seen God? Well, the issue is that if you cannot see God, then how can you really know his presence? How can you really know the love of God if, if he's an invisible person and you've never seen him? And John's answer in this passage is that God can be known and God is made visible through the love of the flesh and blood people that you gather with in your church. It, it is as believers love one another with the love of God that the invisible God abides in us and is made visible to us and to the world. It's through our love for each other. No one has ever seen God. 
if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected or completed in us. So, you know, besides preaching and teaching persistently in a God-centered, gospel-focused manner, uh, you can also model Christian love to your members. As pastors, we're not just to lead by our words, but also by our deeds. Uh, the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 5 that pastors should be, quote, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, end quote. Right? We're to lead by example. We're to be mentors and models. And being a model of love to the church is very important. It's really important that you love the flock of God because they are the flock of God. Some of them, in and of themselves, may not be very lovable. Some may be downright mean. <laughs> but your love for them should be based on their identity in Christ, not on how they treat you. Right? We know, if you're a pastor, you've studied the Bible, you should know this, that genuine biblical love is not based on how someone treats you or how they make you feel. Right? That's, that's the world's kind of love. I love you means you make me feel good. Biblical love is sacrificial giving. God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only begotten son, his, his, his unique special son. God's love is frequently characterized as an act of giving for the good of another. And that's the model for our love. So we love them for Christ's sake, not for their own sake. An important passage in this regard is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. And then the next verse he says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We regard no one according to the flesh. That's a really important sentence, really important phrase. You need to think about that and make sure you understand what that means. To not regard anyone according to the flesh. It means we view people according to their relation to Christ, not their relation to us. Your members are either believers who are chosen and loved from the foundation of the world, for whom Christ sacrificed his very life, or that some of them may be unbelievers who act the way they do because they're spiritually blind and slaves to sin. But that means they can only be set free by the gospel. Either way, they should be the objects of your love either as those uh, that, that God chose and, and for whom he died, or, or as those who need to be saved, who need the gospel of Christ. Don't regard them according to the flesh. Someone wrote, I can't, I can't remember who wrote this. It might have it been, um, I want to say it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, he talked about not having any direct relationships as Christians. We don't have any direct relationships that it what that means is what they were talking about is all our relationships are mediated through jesus christ i don't relate directly to you as one human to another human i relate to you through jesus christ and i i see you and relate to you through the lens of christ and who he is and what he has done and that changes everything <clears throat> everything excuse me about your relationships with people because when someone treats me poorly, when someone treats me badly, when someone sins against me or, or is unkind or, or thoughtless, my concern then is not how they've treated me or how they made me feel. 
my concern is their relation with Christ. My concern is if they're sinning against the Lord, then they're in, they're in trouble. And I ought to be concerned for them. When someone insults me or treats me badly or lies about me or whatever it is, I should be concerned for their soul. I shouldn't be concerned about, you know, oh, how dare they treat me that way? It's not about me. It's about their relation to Christ. I don't regard them according to the flesh anymore. That direct relationship, I, my relationships are mediated through Christ. And we need to do that for our members. Model that kind of Christ-centered love for others in our church. So we need to teach about God and Christ and the gospel. It's not just teach, you know, like I say, it's not just, uh, you know, harping on love all the time. Hey, you need to love, you need to love, you need to love. Or scolding them all the time. Why aren't you more loving? You should be more loving. No, it's by getting their eyes off of themselves and focused on God and how awesome he is and how amazing the gospel is and how great Christ is and what he's done for them. And then modeling for them what it looks like to love others for the sake of Jesus Christ and having those relationships mediated through the lens of Jesus, not regarding people according to the flesh anymore. So lack of love, it's a, it's a big problem in the church and especially churches that are dying or are unhealthy. Uh, there's probably going to be an issue with that. And you know, by the Lord's grace, we can lead and we can help a church to grow in that area. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, the next one, I'll talk about the issue of lack of prayer. How do we address that issue? Have a good day.